0: Hello and welcome to CEO Stories, the podcast from the Greater Birmingham Chambers of Commerce, where I delve into the minds and journeys of some of the region's leading and -and up-and-coming CEOs. I'm Henrietta Burrily, Chief Exec of the Chamber, and today I am delighted to be joined by Emman Al-Hilawi, the Chief Exec of NTEXI. Hello, Emman. How are you doing today? Hi, Henrietta. Very good, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, for those who might not have come across you before, do you want to start just by telling us a little bit
1: about you and NTEXI? Well, thank you, Henrietta, for having me here today. Uh, I am CEO of NTech SI Limited. Uh, I... Ooh, not a lot to tell about me, but the business itself is a, a business change consultancy. And we specialise in digital transformation, but also very much focusing on people and putting them at the heart of every change journey. That's our specialism. And people has been something that's been front of mind for pretty much all
0: businesses over the last couple of years, but Absolutely. we'll come back to that later. When you think back over your career, over your life so far are there any moments that really stand out
1: to you as particularly defining that have set you on this path? That's a very good question. I suppose in my own personal life and career, there are four main milestones, I guess. Um, the first one is coming to the UK in 1981. Um, I was uh, I was born in Iraq and and grew up until the age of 13 there. So coming to the UK and emigrating here was quite a a life transformation, really. Um, it's new culture, new country, new language. Everything was new, so adapting. That that was quite an interesting uh, transition, if you like. Um, I suppose the second one is my move into... Uh, My second career, which is around, uh, my first career was very much around sciences, so I was a scientist to begin with. The second one was moving into the world of IT, and that was quite a change as well, because I went from being a scientist to going into the technology uh, world, which was quite different, and the business world, more importantly, that was the bigger change. Um, And then the final one, I would say, is meeting my business partner, Peter, and then, and co-creating NTechSI as it stands today. So those are the sort of career milestones, if you like. Fantastic. And if we go right back to the beginning then, start
0: in that very first stage of your journey, what was your first ever job?
1: The very, very, very first one. Mm -hmm. I was sales assistant at Woolworths. (laughs) So that was a school, um, you know, in between sort of holidays and and weekends and that sort of thing at the age of 14. Uh, That was quite interesting. Um yeah uh, but but I suppose that didn't quite influence my uh, my career what it did do though is teach me quite a bit about customer service uh, and 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 actually that's sort of been very much my thread throughout my my career but the real job uh, was a um research assistant uh at the University of Birmingham and that was my after my first degree finished the first degree and then sort of scratched around thinking what do I want to do my parents were very much about education, education, education. They were very much about what they really wanted me to be a doctor, as in a medical doctor, but I wasn't that way inclined. So the compromise was to work in science. And when I finished my first degree in biochemistry, I just didn't really know what I want to do. And so I decided to stay on in research and and hence the research assistant job. And that's kind of like what started me really. and, And that's where we We've come from there since then.
0: And as you alluded to earlier, you moved quite quickly, actually, from sciences into IT. Tell
1: me about that move. What prompted that? Yeah, it was interesting, actually, because what I did was in in 91, I started my first job and kind of carried on um, in that for a good sort of eight or nine years. And that's whilst, whilst doing a PhD. And then when I finished the PhD, it was back end of the 90s and everything was sort of technology revolution was starting back then. And heading into the millennium bug and all the millennium bug challenges that were sort of being t- talked about, it was a fascinating uh, industry and it was obviously an up-and-coming industry. Um, I, I wasn't 100% sure that I wanted to stay in academia so I took that opportunity to sort of investigate a little bit more and through a family connection I got introduced into a big corporate that was recruiting heavily in in, in that space of project management, business analysis and that sort of thing. Uh, with my analytical background it seemed to be a good fit, uh, and so I moved into becoming a business analyst um, in '98. So that that was my st- the start of my now career, if that makes sense. And when you look at your
0: leadership style today, and you think back over over that past, over that beginning, you know, you alluded to your interest in people and culture. Then, of course, that analytical background with IT.
1: Do you see those as having influenced your leadership style? Absolutely, I think for me, I what was really interesting was when I moved into um, my my second career, as I see it. I, I found whilst it was meant to be technology and it was all about technology uh, driving change that was that was good. However, at the heart of it is people who are impacted by that change, and and to me the focus has always been about relationships and and keeping people at the heart of it and making sure that they're the ones that are impacted and and therefore they're the ones that you've got to work with in order to help make it happen. I don't think that's changed really. I've always loved people. It's always been my passion to get to understand people and get to know people better. I think I focused more as time has gone on about that and, and about creating great teams from good connections and good collaboration uh, and playing people to their strengths so those are the things that I've always enjoyed doing and that's what I do in my kind of leadership style if you like and then back into that that journey back
0: into your backstory speaking of the millennium as we were earlier um, you made another big career change into running your own business uh, co-founding your business with
1: Peter Marsden. what made you make that leap do you know that's a really interesting question? I was thinking about it not long ago. Um, when I was working for a big corporate, we uh, Peter and I met on a project that we worked together on, and it was a massive project, and it over you know it was it was a good sort of two or three year lengthy project. We. Um, I were working for the corporate, the focus, as I was saying earlier, was very much about the technology and the implementation of the technology. What I noticed doing that, um, actually, in order for change to happen and be impactful, you had to work with the people on the ground and for them to, for, to, to take them on that journey. And what I found that there was a gap between the focus of the big corporate and what actually needed to happen and so Peter and I were very much in sync about about that and how we managed to bridge that gap and get people to come along on that journey and we talked about it a lot and as time went on we recognized that there was a void and we felt that actually by having our own business we could fill that void Uh, and that's what that's what kind of started it really and and we uh, and, and I shifted it to doing what I want to do and that is work with people to make it happen so yeah th- that was really the reason and the rationale behind it and that's how we got together
0: and how did you find that that move from being part of a big corporate to running your own business because there's nothing quite like in the business world being an entrepreneur is there it was
1: really quite scary <laughs> I mean it's scary to a, a certain level it's also quite empowering um Having, you know, being part of a big corporate is really, really um, comfortable because you are surrounded by a massive infrastructure, a whole load of people. Your career is sort of, to a certain extent, uh, dictated and driven by what's available when you go on your own you feel very much like um, a cord has been cut and you are suddenly cast cast into sea and it's all on your shoulders. Um, And and that's quite scary. But like I say, it's also very, very empowering. So in equal measures, it it took quite a lot of time and and energy to sort of adapt to it and, and to feel that yes, you can do this and, and have that sort of belief in yourself and just focus on what's good about what you're doing and the passion around it. And I think the rest of it pretty much took care of itself, really. Fantastic. And then the, the business
0: moved quite quickly, didn't it? And starting in 2008, you started working with Service Birmingham on a, a rather massive project for the region, the Library of Birmingham. Tell me a little bit about
1: that. Wow. So, my favourite project <laughs> to date, interestingly, Henrietta, it, we had a, only last week, we had a reunion to celebrate the 10th year anniversary of the launch of the Library of Birmingham. And as I was walking uh, from the train station to the library, to, to, we, we were fortunate enough to be given a tour by uh, the management, um... I was reflecting as I was walking along Paradise Circus the transformation that's come about on the back of that library moving, if you like, and being recreated around that area. And it's just quite phenomenal. It's beautiful, really. Um, It was a really interesting project. Um, and actually it sort of reconfirmed and reaffirmed what I believe to be the case when it comes to change and how people adapt to change we originally were commissioned to look at the technology side and nothing else and when we started working yes and and, and the remit you'll laugh at this the remit was uh, make it wow that was it that was the actual remit and, and that was the brief if you like and so How do you go about making that happen? And obviously the the build itself, uh, that was was a a separate organization that was doing that. And then they did a fantastic, very um, different kind of design, didn't they? But actually for us, we started out thinking, okay, well, how can technology make a difference? And you're thinking ahead, aren't you? You're looking into the future in terms of where it can take you. But very quickly into the project, um, everyone began to realise it's all well and good. You can put screens up, you can put Wi-Fi, you can put uh, PCs, you can create all sorts of sort of customer journeys and so on. But actually, the reality is, unless you change the way people work, the people, the way people interact with their customers, how the look and feel of, of the process was, how people um, moved from one end to the build of the building to the other, and it was a huge building, all of that needed to come together for it to create that very amazing kind of experience, customer experience, and staff experience, and so we ended up actually, our remit was expanded and we took on the whole of transformation as well. So that's people, process, technology and integrating that into the actual building itself. Um, And in fact, we ended up managing the entire process leading up to opening uh, including the customer testing and everything around it and that that was pretty special time i must admit and it was really lovely just going around and and seeing you know bits of technology and bits of process that are still working you know how they used to but also seeing the fact that a lot of it has evolved over the years and and and, and actually some of the opportunities that these transformations have afforded the the organization as it stands today so yeah fabulous i can talk about about it all day.
0: <laughs> and like you say from just a look around Centenary Square today you can see you, you probably fulfilled that brief make it wow. <laughs> it's a fabulous asset for the city. Thank you. Um, back on to N-tech. so how has the business evolved since your, your early days as sort of first starting up?
1: Interestingly when we first started we very much worked directly ourselves so myself and Peter we were doing the delivery at the time um we and actually I feel like I'm quite um what's the phrase I'm looking very privileged in the way my career has developed because personally and and Peter to a certain extent although he's a lot more tacky than I am um we've worked through every single role if you like that the company now offers so for us I started out as a business analyst and then went on to become a project manager, program manager, program director and so on and so forth and worked through every single element if you like of what we do and it's really great because you understand the business inside out and it's sort of very organically grown. The, The business itself has, it started with just the two of us and then we started to um, work with associates, people we've worked with that we got on very well with, and wanted to continue working with them. Um, and then some of these people came on board as employees, and and so on and so forth. So very much our journey started in local government. That's our sort of heritage, if you like, and that's where we, um, what we live and breathe and do even today. Sixty percent of our business is in that sector. But then over the years, and it's actually been predominantly through contacts and people that have moved from one organisation to the other um, and have taken us with them uh, and people through recommendations. And that's how our business has grown really over the years. We've evolved and moved into um, a wider public sector kind of uh, uh, scope, if you like, and our client base now has got charities, not for profit, um, health, and uh, some and uh, quite a few private sector. We've worked with Birmingham Airport, for example, obviously um, a big regional organisation, and uh, also we've got uh, we but we've started to sort of evolve further than that, and more recently we've gotten into the higher education. Um, sector working with universities, almost doing like a a full loop back to my original career, which is really fascinating. Um, And then also um, moving more into the private sector as well. So so the the clientele has grown. Um, Our team has has changed if you like uh, originally we were very techie but then we moved more into what, what I've just described around the people and and the business and analysis project management and that sort of thing um, but now we are uh, and, and we've grown we've grown and shrunk over the years as as any SME and, and big corporate tend to sort of go through a bit of an evolution, don't don't they? So we've grown over, and over the years and we've shrunk over the years and then we've changed the sort of mix between employees and associates and so on and so forth. But I think where we are now, I think we're very mature in the sense we've got a lot of knowledge, experience, track records, and feel very comfortable and confident in what we can do. Obviously, you can't stand still. And for me, it's about sort of what's next and what's next. And, and that's an area that's I'm constantly challenging myself in. And I like to, you know, as you know, we do quite a lot of work around Birmingham in terms of networking and getting to know the, the businesses around here. For me personally, it's about giving back as well. And and it's what we can do for the region. So, yeah.
0: And thinking about that time, like you say, businesses grown, changed, grown again, all sorts. Uh, And you've worked through rather a lot of change, financial crisis and then a COVID pandemic, so to name a two. Um, What's it been like leading a team and leading a business in that sort of, those sort of key moments of change?
1: Joe, it's not been an easy journey particularly the last three to four years um we the world has shifted and I think what we are still we're getting better now generally we being the the sort of royal we everybody we are becoming a little bit more comfortable with this version of life post covid particularly um The company itself and us as individuals, being in the people business, one of the biggest shock that happened to us is being suddenly disconnected from the people we're working with. You know, we've always worked on the ground with our clients as teams, as blended teams with a mix between us. And that overnight came to a complete crash and halt with with COVID. So of course, That was a big shock for us. We were able to adapt to it and went on to Zoom and Teams and everything else that's happening now. However, it took quite a lot of time for us to come to terms with that as an organization and and as individuals. And relearning to rebuild relationships through a remote online um, perspective is very important different isn't it and 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 you don't interact in the same way as you do in real life so that was a big shift for us and actually it's a bit ironic isn't it because we're in the change world aren't we we constantly live and breathe it but in reality it was just as much of a shock to us as it was to everybody else um we went through a couple of things we had to we we shrank and then we started to grow again we had to adapt what we do. Uh, we partnered with some of our uh, customers to help them through their demand. So we had to be a bit more versatile and a bit more inventive in terms of what we actually do. Um, so I think being agile and a little a little bit more flexible and, and tailoring your sort of services to suit what, wherever the demand is, is, that was really quite an important thing for us to do um we've since then I'd say went through a couple of cycles of sort of changing the shape of the team and changing the size of the team um over the last 12 months particularly we've sort of consolidated and went back to what what we call our core offers and our core values and we we've kind of re took a real step back uh, after the turbulent uh, few years and decided actually for us we've just gotta forget everything start from scratch as in you know go back to basics and and re kind of re-remember what we're all about and and that's where we are now so we've refocused the team on exactly what we started out doing going back 20 odd years ago and actually everyone, is a lot happier in terms of what, where we're at and where we're heading to. And what we're finding, interestingly, is um, that the sort of demand, if you like, and the clientele... Uh, liking that <laughs> and 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 they're wanting more of that, which is very helpful <laughs> for us as a business.
0: So very much used it as an opportunity to reset and get back to purpose. one hundred percent. yeah, and how was it for you leading through that as a, a sort of individual? because it's something I, I hear a lot from entrepreneurs. obviously a leader in any business, a chief executive in any business, the book stops with you. as an entrepreneur, it's it's even more your baby, if you like. yeah, so how how was that from a from a personal
1: point of view? Sometimes very painful. <laughs> you know, I'll be very candid. You know, it's really interesting. Um, we, had a, an, an int- we had a conversation last week and um, the conversation was about, oh, you know, big corporates, you know, um, shareholders are making lots of money and, and actually with the whole uh, crisis around, you know, the, the cost of living and everything else you know, what's it like for SMEs? And I said, well, I don't know about corporates, but I do know what it's like for SMEs. And as a, a business owner and, and someone who lives and breathes there um, day-to-day in the business, you feel the pain more than anybody else does. I mean, it, it might not be, be apparent to everybody else, but you take everything very personally and you feel because every single person you've recruited is somebody you know and every single person you've worked with is somebody who's a personal you have a personal connection with and so if you have to change the team shape or size everything is very much it, it tugs at you and it is part of you and so it's like like you just said it's your baby you have to you live and breathe it you you feel every bit of pain you feel every bit of angst and anxiety but then you've still got to lead it and you've still got to come out of it you know with and, and you've got to keep focused on ultimately the the right thing and doing the right thing so personally it was it was a tough tough journey it's been a very difficult few um years but like everything else, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, doesn't it? <laughs> so, and actually you do come out stronger and you do come out um, much more focused. You, you come out feeling a lot more empowered. And, and I think for everybody else, once they've seen the reason and the rationale and they see the final outcome it becomes very clear to them that actually it was the right thing to do. It's just at the time, you know, it's like any change at the time, everything feels very, very difficult um, for everyone. So, yeah, it, it's not been an easy journey. I'm lucky that there's two of us in the business and we support each other. I'm very lucky. I have some amazing team members and, and another director who's fantastic, who helps us through all of that, Um Yeah, so we've been very fortunate in terms of what we've been through. But yeah, interesting challenges.
0: And how do you manage your personal resilience? You've mentioned something that's come up on the podcast a few times, (laughs) having a trusted people that you can sort of share, share with and really have, whether it's mentors, business partner, whoever it is, folks you can really share with, Um, but also sort of hobbies and that side of things, managing work life balance. How do you, how do you approach that?
1: So I think um, just, just sticking with the work side with the colleagues and and the people I work with, I think absolutely right. Um, It's all about relationships and, and, Having those trusted um, people that that are around you, and and a, a number of people that you can talk to who are outside of the business, who are, like you say, like mentors and 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 um, sounding board and colleagues who are able to take you out of the business because you you're very much in it sometimes, and it's just lovely to be able to lift up. Having those colleagues and those friends is everything i think to me it's all about that support network that you have around you um the the colleagues that are in the business have been incredibly understanding and they they you know we're like a little bit of a family if i'm honest with you and with that comes good things and also challenging things but for me it's about being open honest and transparent and and always having that at the forefront of my mind um the colleagues, the the support network, every single one of them, and, it, and it's interesting. I was talking to somebody the other day. Sometimes talking about a challenge to different people, because you're even though they may not be able to offer you an answer or anything like that, they actually just by vocalizing it, you talk to people differently. So you come at it from a different perspective, depending on who it is you're talking to. And I actually think that helps because you're almost processing and rationalizing some things um, just by by having those different conversations. And I'm a big fan of talking. Okay. <laughs> you probably gathered. So so I, I, I'm a big fan of listening, but absolutely 100 was it? You've got two ears and one mouth. So, <laughs> but actually, just sort of that dialogue and that that conversation is all very important. From a hobbies point of view, oh my god, you've opened a can of worms there. Um, As you know, I'm a bit of a I'm a bit mad sometimes. (laughs) I do crazy things. Um, Just normal hobbies. I do running. I do. I go to the gym. So for me, that's really great for mental health, physical health. That that's all important. From a and sort of still within the physical space, and I find that really good. I do indoor rock climbing. And I find that incredible because you are so focused on this next handhold, foothold, whatever it is, that it, it's almost like you're, you're in a puzzle. And, and I find that fantastic because it, it, it challenges the mind, but in a very different way to, to day, day-to-day stuff. And, it's, and, and obviously, physically, it's very, very good. Um, the one, the, the, I suppose, the unusual hobby that I have is I fly fixed-wing aircraft. And I took that up when I turned fifty. That was my present to myself. Um, what I didn't appreciate is how uh, how addicted <laughs> I was going to become uh, to that. Uh, I must say I love it as a hobby. It's it's uh, it. You know, it's beyond a hobby because it again it takes you out of the day to day. It helps you. Um, clear the mind simply because you are focused on a task and that is to get yourself from a to b safely and enjoy that journey and that focus is is all encompassing and i think it's wonderful plus also you get to share it with people you, you know friends family colleagues and uh if you on lucky days like last week um managed to do some beautiful flights and even get to park up next not far off from the red arrows (laughs) so it's quite an experience so yeah
0: something i'm picking up loud and clear i think from your your journey today is that you're somebody who doesn't like to sit still uh, and is constantly very curious about what you can learn next where the next opportunities are um On a slightly different note, you've spoken previously about your experience of of being a woman in the tech sector in particular, as well as leading a business. Uh, Have you ever found that clients, partners behave perhaps differently towards you to your business partner? I know you spoke about this at an Asian Business Chamber of Commerce International Women's Day event uh, last year that I joined you for. Is that something you'd like to reflect on?
1: Yeah, it is something that I'm particularly um, passionate about and quite vocal, as you know. I think um, being uh, a very different type of person, if you like, I, I, was, I was different from day one. I'm, I'm uh, from an Asian background. I uh, have a very unusual name. Um, and I'm vertically challenged, very vertically challenged. Uh, put those three things together in a fairly male-dominated world, particularly going back to the 90s and 2000s, It was quite an interesting journey to go through, um, especially working with a male partner, uh, whom obviously people, you know, probably identify more with him. And, uh, you know, you used to go to meetings together in the early days when you're pitching to clients or even just kicking off a project and so on. And invariably, I always was seen as the either the PA or the person who's who's the understudy or someone who's the junior and that was very frustrating because we we have very different strengths and we have very different um, skill sets and we are equal we were always have been equal partners so to be seen as the like less important or the less influential person was very frustrating and for us, we, we, I had to vocalise it. Peter, bless his cotton socks, he didn't, he was not aware of it. And I think that's one of the challenges. Because if you don't know, <laughs> you don't know, do you? I was very aware of it. Um, anyway, we, we had to discuss it, we had to vocalise it. And a number of times, we had disagreements about it as well. Um, he, in the long run ended up adapting some of his behaviors in order to sort of put me in the forefront of some of the conversations. And that actually did help. uh, But it was a very conscious uh, thing that we do. As you know, you know, I'm a big advocate for mentorship for young females and and females who are, you know, in their careers and wanting to develop. I think we can be better at networking and, and supporting each other through the networks. And also, I think having those sort of role models, I suppose, is is all important. So this is something I'm becoming more and more focused on as I move on in my career. So, yeah.
0: And like you say, being in an environment where you can vocalise that and get the support okay. of your business partner, absolutely huge. And as a as a petite uh, woman who looks, on well, occasion gets mistaken for being a teenager, <laughs> um, I, I feel, you, feel <laughs> your pain, <laughs> um, being underestimated can be a superpower, but it can also be really bloody frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> <You are> 100%. <laughs> um, so back onto a, a slightly different topic. We've talked about hobbies. We've talked about some of the, the great work that you've done in Birmingham with the iconic
1: Library of Birmingham,
0: What's your favourite thing to do in Birmingham?
1: Oh, my God. That's a really difficult question. You know that. Um, I am a big foodie. I love my food. And one of the best things I ever did um in the last few years was move back in near the city so I am now about 20 minutes by train I live 20 minutes by train away from the city center which is brilliant because it means I can literally just hop on the train and I'm in uh, Snow Hill or Moore Street or whatever and it's fantastic so for me I think the the whole kind of the, the restaurants, bars, clubs, so on. But the, the scene in Birmingham is just growing and growing. And I think, you know, having the Michelin-starred restaurants, even just, you know, some of the most unusual restaurants that are coming up in the city, it's just brilliant. So that whole culinary experience is a big part of what I love to do in the city. Um, I think, obviously, other than the sort of usual theatres and, and, and so on and so forth... One of my favourite things is actually just walking around the city, and funnily enough, I was uh, some friends of mine were coming to stay, and and I uh, googled, as you do, uh, what the the top 10 things to do in Birmingham thinking well what you know I know what I'd like to do but what would they like to do and funnily enough one of the first things that popped up was a walking tour around the city and frankly that's what I like to do I my niece came to stay this time last year and I literally took her for a walk everywhere and uh, we just just that journey and watching the city evolve and grow and and seeing and remembering what it was like in 1987 when I came to the city it's just been transformed hasn't it and and for the better i think it's wonderful
0: yeah i moved to birmingham in 2009 and just the transformation since then is incredible and since I'm 1987 on. I like, know a, the last, another level
1: yeah. well the last decade i think has been particularly poignant very very much everything a lot has happened since then so yeah absolutely
0: yeah and then speaking of the future what next frentex i
1: I guess for us, I'd like to think, but who never? you never know because you don't know what's around the corner, but I'd like to see this next um, 12 to 18 months as a period of stabilisation, a bit of reflection, um, just going back to that, as we were saying, resetting, going back to basics. Um, making sure that we are delivering amazing stuff for our clients. And that's what we love to do. You know, you've you've, hear, you've heard me talk about the library and the passion. We talk about all of our projects with this level of passion. And and it's just, we love to do it. It's just one of our, it's, it's what we do is we live and breathe that sort of support for our uh, clients. So it's just doing more of that for the time being. My Vision, if you like, is to try and see us grow in those new sectors for us, um, and you know, for, for us, just essentially being a little bit more. I don't know. It integrated nationally, because obviously in the old days, pre-COVID, we were very much constrained by geography, um, because we were very much on-site type people, and and where you employed your in your teams you had to be within a certain sort of uh, range, if you like. That is no longer the case. So for us, it's, it's sort of the world's our oyster in a way. <laughs> so we, you know, that to me, it's that stepping back and out. And actually my operations director, she lives up near Middlesbrough. So that tells you now that the world is different. And, and, and for us to take it sort of more national, I think that's something that we're really keen to do. I mean, we do now, it's just going a bit further out.
0: Very much, using Finding that opportunity that's come out of all of that change. Indeed. Now, we're on to a couple of final questions. Can't quite believe we're coming to the end of the podcast already, but these are some wider reflections for you. When you look back over your career, are there any leaders or individuals that have inspired you along the way?
1: Okay, so um, without wishing to sound like a lot of people say this kind of thing, but it really was very much my father. He was... Absolutely inspirational. What amazed me about him was the level of energy and enthusiasm he put into every day you know he carried on working until his mid to late 70s so even though he'd actually stopped and retired from his day job he continued to do translating of books writing books you know he just constantly wanted to do something new and different he traveled the world he spoke five languages he was amazing and he I suppose he instilled Um, in me my passion for you know you were saying earlier like can't sit still and constantly looking for the next challenge I think that comes from my dad and he um, he always used to say you know grab every day and just make the most of it and and that's how I like to live my life now so yeah absolutely him.
0: And a final question for you now if you could share just
1: one piece of advice for aspiring CEOs what would it be? That's a really good question. I think it's follow your passion. Uh, That's fundamental. Build good relationships. That's also (laughs) fundamental. And I'd say focus on your people and your customers. And if you can do that, the rest of it just looks after itself fantastic thank you so
0: much for joining us today Amand. it's been fascinating talking to you and you've really brought your, your energy your curiosity your focus it's all come through loud and clear in today's interview um now for those at home of course don't forget to subscribe to ceo stories wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on social media at grbham chambers on x slash twitter whatever it is we're calling it these days greater birmingham chambers of commerce on linkedin and keep an eye out for our next episode coming next month